Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Thanks for joining us, everyone. I'm Duffy Dixon. Welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Joining me is Ben Sawyer. He is the CEO of Soar Vision Group. He has more than 30 years of executive leadership experience, and he launched Soar to help align people with purpose and to achieve exceptional results. Lisa Council sits next to him. She is the Chief Commercial Officer for SOAR. She has more than two decades of clinical leadership and clinical informatics experience. She spent 19 years at the McKesson Corporation, leading large teams in clinical consulting, direct sales, and sales support. And joining us again this week is our guest, Lowell Cruz. Lowell is the former CEO of Heartland Health in St. Joseph, Missouri. He retired in 2009 after serving Heartland for 25 years as their CEO. Under his leadership, Heartland Health was the 2009 recipient of both the Baldred National Quality Award and the Foster G. McGaw Prize for Excellence in Community Service. He currently serves as co-founder and chair of something called Communities of Excellence 2026, and he's on the board of directors for the Baldridge Foundation. Welcome again, Lowell. Thank you. It's good to be here. What we're going to do this week is as we go through uh, a lot of the topics that we touched on last week, we call this the deep dive. So we're going to go into a little more in-depth things that came out that we just want to talk about more. So first, let me have people who are listening do as we always ask that you go to www.leaderdialogue.com. And when you pull that up, you're going to see the organizational hierarchy of needs. And basically, it's the visual baldrich. So as we're talking about it, it's going to make sense when you refer to how companies, you know, where it starts, how you have your system in place. So I think that'll be really helpful. Awesome. Thank you very much, Duffy. Um, So Lowell, uh, just for the audience to understand a little bit about your ongoing journey in this with Communities of Excellence, just explain a minute kind of what you're up to there and what the significance is for jurisdictions like states and cities and counties. Yeah, this this whole discussion about communities of excellence came about because of the experience that uh, I and Rick Norling, who's the other person, uh, the co-founder of Communities of Excellence, at the end of our careers, both retired, uh, we had a conversation in January of 2010 about, you know, the health of the country was declining. Uh, every measure seemed to be not working right in terms of healthy people, healthy lives. Uh, the cost per person in our country is 2x any other country, any, any other modern country in terms of what it costs to take care of a population. And we were just having that conversation. And as we thought about it as newly minted retirees, uh, we said, well, is there something we can do about it? Anything. And Rick, just in an offhand comment, said, what if we applied the Ballridge framework to communities? Because at the end of the day, it's what happened in communities that ultimately determines health. It's the right. notion about it's your zip code as opposed to any of your health indicators. And so uh, we knew that educational attainment, the quality of jobs, safe housing, uh, all of those things were the key determinants of health. And so we began to think that, well, certainly uh, the future of our country is predicated on the success at the community level. 
right. at the state and federal level. And so we began. We said, let's let's focus on communities. First of all, you got to figure out how to define community, and so we had to work that out. But we took the Baldrige framework, as we understood it, for organizations in healthcare that were complex, and began to using that same framework, the same systems. We applied new language and new questions that were relevant to how, how we could get communities to come together. How do you replace since the community has no CEO? How do you mirror the CEO function. Who do you bring together to make sure that that kind of leadership happens? What right. kind of support does that CEO need? Right. So Communities of Excellence 2026 came about simply because of that early conversation of saying that in order to improve everything, you have to start at the community level. We call it Communities of Excellence 2026 because we want it to coincide with the beginning of the next 250 years of our country Right. and recognize that without the foundation of this country, basically what came out of the uh, Declaration of Independence, you know, this whole notion about our republic, the democracy that's come from that. We've been trying to improve that democracy, that republic, for 140-plus years. But going forward, it's like any company. You can, you, you can only, one system, one piece only gets you so far. Then for, for this country to succeed in the next 250 years, we have to have more success at the community level. Our hope is that we can do with communities what Malcolm Baldrige started with manufacturing that led to all other sectors. And now the collection of all that applied to this next big challenge we have as a country is improving the performance of communities. That's, that's Because that's essentially our future. Yeah, that's that's so uh, yeah. true and excellent. And, and we at SOAR feel very privileged to be working with uh, you and Rick and Stephanie on the Community of Excellence initiative and continuing to work together relative to adoption and acceleration of uh, results and being able to put infrastructures in place for sustainability. So thank you for that, uh, Lowell. Um, for the listeners, then, what we're going to do is we're going to cover several topics today. We're going to start off with the topic that came up last week, which was move the needle. So as we do this, uh, Lowell, please jump in and give us the stories from your you know, years in depth of experience to make to, to underscore this, but just to tee this up. So moving the needle means you first of all understand what is important about your business. So what are the things that are really going to be a game changer uh, in terms of your market? And and ultimately that leads to the second topic, which is customer value. So as Duffy said at the beginning of the show, as a listener, if you go to the organizational hierarchy of needs, you're going to find customer value right there in the middle. Uh, because at the end of the day, organizations have to be able to meet and exceed uh, customer value relative to their to their competitors. And in today's age, there's huge disruptors. Like the most, the biggest one that everybody knows about is Amazon, right? They come into every thing and they're a disruptor because they focus specifically on what customers want customer obsession that's what they call themselves yep and your husband you my, yeah my husband just retired from i mean from amazon so very yeah uh, very well aware of that customer obsession comment yeah so so again it makes it even that much more challenging for organizations to be able to obsess on customer value and out of that come what we refer to as value-based metrics that matter versus what we often fall into, which is uh, volume-based metrics, like how many widgets did we make, or how many patients did we discharge, or how many, you know, that kind of thing, which don't necessarily really um, strike into value. 
Um, we're then going to talk about uh, something you brought up last week, Lowell, which is how do you relate to associates by essentially telling stories of the journey and the success so people are learning and sharing and developing a culture, uh, a culture of improvement as they go. Then we're going to talk about uh, leadership and how leadership is the primary driver and supporter, essentially, of that cultural transformation. And we'll probably uh, tip into the difference between authority and responsibility, authority being in a position, uh, responsibility being shared with the front line. And then we want to uh, finish up with a discussion about sustainability. So, so for listeners, that's kind of the outline that we're going to go through. So let's start first about um, moving the needle. So in all that you have done, Lowell, over the years, hospitals, now jurisdictions in terms of communities of excellence, how important has moving the needle been in terms of metrics that matter? Well, from the standpoint, at, at the beginning of this process, what employees and physicians need to see from all their effort is that something is improving. Right. And, and so moving the needle happens in a variety of ways. Um, and, and you don't get to the question about uh, customer value for a while, or at least I didn't, or we didn't in our organization. It was basically you've got to make sure that your employees and your medical staff, again, speaking of the healthcare industry, that they get it, that there's value. So what happens from my standpoint internally is, you know, because of all the errors that were going on, we did a lot of rework. And so we kept saying that we're putting so much energy and time into rework that if once we stop making some of those mistakes, there's more time applied to others. And then uh, as we started to see improvement in some of those things that we basically said, we're going to share our financial success with you and so we began to do uh, incentive compensation based on quality and, and financial performance and and so we tried to you know any way that we could show and then any way that we could show that a, a department that made a difference it might not have impacted the whole hospital but we could we could get those people in front of the uh, of the rest of the organization and tell their story about how they improved throughput in the emergency room or or uh, turnaround time between operating rooms. We used to have doctors line up uh, for the seven o'clock time in the operating room and kept saying, well, we need more and more and more operating rooms. And someone said, well, we can't afford that. And so we said, well, what's the turnaround time between uh, sur surgeries? And, and I think someone told me it was 45 minutes. And I said, what's the best practice in terms of turnaround times, safe turnaround times? And uh, Someone would say, well, it's, you know, it's 25 minutes. I'd say, well, how do we get from... And so once they would get from a 45-minute turnaround time to a 30-minute turnaround time, then they became curious about what's a better practice and how can we keep improving. Well, those... Right. I remember the head of our surgery department saying, we've, we've got this down now to where we're almost worried we're doing it too fast. But little gains, and then someone else would pick up on supply distribution, or someone would say, the emergency room throughput is too slow, What's holding it up? It's the lab results. You got to get the lab results so the doctor can do the diagnosis, and so then you improve the process. It's those little gains, and you got to be good at picking them up and telling those stories and having the lab people and the ER people talk about how they did something together. It's that kind of thing I think about. 
right in terms of small gains yeah right and it's and it's you know the devil's in the details so it's how all of those connect because the classic yeah. example is a patient comes into a hospital they may have uh, you know have a physician that has an outstanding bedside you know care manners and they could have great experiences with nurses and other care providers and then they end up having a really bad experience with their bill it's delayed yep. it's inaccurate and it and it the whole thing's done and from the standpoint of customer experience because that one thing was actually bad so to your point the devil's in the details relative to customer value and again it's what are the measures that matter what's the needles that really matter that you're trying to focus on to create a comprehensive differentiated customer experience that's that's the key that unlocks the age of consumerism it's how do you do it in the most efficient effective way that comprehensively meets that customer's needs and therefore they're going to stick with you right so um so let's talk about that just a little bit from the standpoint of culture. You, you started to, to talk about stories and how uh, over time associates started to really learn from each other and, and yeah. the journey began to evolve. Tell us a little bit more about that cultural transformation. Well, I, I think we can never assume that people understand how what they do connects to what everybody else does and how it impacts the organization. Right. You, you cannot assume that, and so you've got to teach it, and you've got to tell stories about it, and you've got to take your time to do that. If we lose track of that, then we miss the point of bringing everybody along. Once people understand and you show them how, that, how their work connects to everyone else's work, and then long-term they see the result of the organization doing better in terms of quality outcomes. If you measure performance at a high level in terms of quality outcomes, satisfaction, and financial performance, at least those are the three major ones that I kept an eye on, and and everyone sees those measures, and once, once you start to see those examples, uh, laundry cost per pound. I mean, y you can go into virtually every aspect of your organization Force yourself to find those stories. Force yourself to lift them up. Bring patients into your leadership meetings right. and have them tell stories about what it was like to be a patient. Have a doctor come and talk about the dilemmas they have and how we were able to improve their ability to serve a patient by do and have them be part of a cycle time team that improved lab turnaround so that the emergency room could work better. and. Uh, it's just all of those things. There's no one thing that I can think of. It's all of those things that you have to think about and do them over and over. The, the, the senior leadership of the organization has to understand their role. You mentioned that earlier. Their role is to coach and teach, not to decide. It's to coach and teach. You can decide that we're going to go this direction in terms of the culture. You can decide that we're going to use the Baldrige framework as our management model. But once that big strategy decision is made, then the rest of it is coaching, teaching, and helping. Right. And so that's often missed, particularly in a high expectation, quick turnaround environment. So, for example, the classic consultant engagement is they're going to come in and do stuff to you in a very rapid cycle way. And then they leave. And sometimes they'll even leave behind 
a sustainability manager of some mm -hmm. kind. But that, that just means there's somebody else there lording over the team because they didn't really understand what just happened to them. <laughs> um, and, and therefore, the sustainability is immediately at risk. And the, and the other uh, example, maybe to comment on, uh, Lowell, is it's like you know, growing a really uh, healthy tree. There has to be a really good root system uh, without it. Uh, the tree is really never going to mature and flourish. So um, talk to us a little bit about those two things, the, the temptation to just do quick things and not spending the time that you just described to make sure that people, as I, I'm just quoting from you, people have to understand and see the connections and then see the results and then they have it. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's like when you're a, a, a child and you put your hand on a hot stove, you learn. Yep. When you're a CEO and you bring in some outside people to do a quick fix, you learn pretty quickly that you sometimes have to go slow to go fast. Right. And so to me, that's one of the reasons that I was far enough along in my career when Baldrige came along that I could even ask the question about we've got to, we've got to really pick up our game in terms of our our management system that what we do here is a system I had to think about it as opposed to a whole series of tools that you cobble together because you learned it from the last consultant and so for me it's just a matter of experience now hopefully we can teach the new generation of leaders coming along here are the things that work and don't work and so that's what part of this program is about is to try to teach that you've got to be thinking about the long term and building the system and the culture that works at the meantime but in the interim You've got to be doing the short-term things, the execution, small gains, short-term stuff, and then constantly showing how these two things connect. And so we've all got to be clever enough to say to people, this is the framework that we're operating in. This is our long-term goal. We're going to constantly be improving. In the short-term, in this next quarter, we have to do this. And, and then do, and we're going to circle back, and we're going to tell each other how we're doing. Right. It's that combination, and that's that coaching and teaching rather than the typical thing maybe that some leaders just think that their job is to decide things. And I, I came to that conclusion, I don't know, somewhere in my career that I think early on I thought people expected me to have the answers for everything. Well, the, I learned I didn't. And so, uh, but I did learn that an awful lot of people that you would least expect sometimes in an organization that can help you the most. Uh, have your parents in a hospital as a patient sometime and ask them who's the most important person to you. And it's not all the, the doctors and the nurses. It's the housekeeper that comes in or this person that brings in your tray for dinner. How do they talk to you? That's when my mother and father were patients. That's what they were described to me. Right. You got to go talk to patients as the CEO and find out what what drives them and uh, what causes them to be satisfied or not satisfied. It's everything. It's all of those things. It's personal. They're measurement tools, but it's personal relationships and doing so. It's all of those things. So we're going to linger a little bit on this culture and leadership thing. And there's a couple things that you said that were, were really insightful, so I don't want to gloss over them. The first is you have to go slow to go fast. So everybody wants to go fast. But what you're really saying is unless people understand the connection that are associates and understand how that's actually driving results and the metrics that matter, you will never be able to get fast or agile. You, you have to do, right? Is that correct? Never, right. 
it's not possible. As I've told people, I grew up on a farm in Iowa. You have to, you, you can't plant corn in September and expect to <laughs> harvest in October. You have to do it in sequence, and then certain you have to take care of it and you manage it. Right. To get, yeah, and that's the same thing with anything, with any organization. Right. So, Which yeah, then absolutely. leads right to leadership. You said another really important thing. Leadership is not about having all the answers. Leadership is about being able to help people find the answers and or get the answers from the people that are in the know, which are often frontline people, yep. and then be able to, to use that to help facilitate transformational change. And yep. Lowell, you said that along your journey, you would tell your colleagues and employees, hey, I'm learning right there with you. Yep. That's huge. Yeah, what I what I think leaders are responsible for, and I've again conclusions that come from failed failed other decisions, is you got to know how to make the big decisions right. The big decisions, saying we're going to use this Baldrige framework as a management model. That's a that's a big strategic decision. After after you've made that, then just help everybody implement. Once you've said to somebody, this is our grand scheme for the long term and we're going to take our time to learn it. In the meantime, we're going to do things that help improve your environment and your work. And why are we going to do that? Because that improves the patient experience and then show how the dots connect. you got to take time to teach it. Because every day they're taking care of patients while you're trying to teach them a new way of doing something, a new way of thinking. And, uh, you know, you just learn those things because you've been in the business a long time. You don't always know those things when you're a young leader. So when we're teaching leadership and we're teaching students, we've got to be able to explain the new reality. The new reality is customers first, customer experience in healthcare, uh, customer experience when it comes to shopping and on and on and speed, whatever it is uh, in the particular sector that you're in. But that that's easy to say, but it's not necessarily always easy for people to absorb along the way. It's to, right. to absorb as an employee to absorb as a supervisor, manager, and then a CEO. We watch this over and over on the national scene that they want a turnover in CEO leadership and they're looking for the something next, that's almost not doable in many cases. Right, the next yeah. quick fix. If they just trade yeah. them out, you're going to get a yeah. different result. But Lowell, you said something a couple of times I think is really important. Again, you're kind of talking about this operating model. You called it a management system, you know, again, relying on the Baldridge framework. We find oftentimes in healthcare, like, you know, it's kind of the hero mantra. Some you know, CEO is going to carry the burden on his shoulders and he's going to be, oh, yeah. he's going to do it all. But you recognized that you need a different operating model, which we see all the time. Ben and I do um, when we're consulting. It's, it, it makes a difference when you look at the Baldridge framework and how do you actually apply from the frontline resources all the way to the executive suite and engage everyone. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I remember somewhere in my career, I mean, I didn't know this, but that we really were fascinated by heroic recoveries, people that saved lives, that did remarkable things. And then someone would say quietly, well, what if we prevented that heart attack from happening? What if we prevented mm -hmm. something from happening? It wouldn't get any recognition at all. How do we create, how do we take from being excited about heroic recoveries and replace that excitement by just never having that error happen at all. And then you'd say, well, that makes common sense because that's the whole rework thing, the, the cost of poor quality. Once you start to understand that piece, then you have to start teaching to it, showing examples of it, and, and the improvement that it leads to. 
at the CEO level, the senior leadership level, you've got to be able to connect those dots and make it make sense to people. And we don't, uh, you were talking about earlier, instant results, whatever, that drives people to do the wrong thing extremely well. Right. And over time, the organization starts to fail. Right. And, and people... leadership is about making sure that you don't do those things. Right. And people mistake activity for results. I've seen it a lot, yeah. And, and I, I think all the Baldrige framework does, and, I, and for those that are not familiar with it, I mean, it's just basically a series of questions that help drive you to the conversations you need to have about, are we thinking of everything? Do right. we have all the tools we need to think of everything? And by the way, you mentioned earlier this whole notion about Category 4, the data, the data, uh, value, the ability to evaluate what you're doing and, and the ability to convert that data into stories that everyday people can understand and use and make sense out of it. Right. Um, that's where you got to be clever, is taking complicated stuff and uh, being able to teach it. Just because a person has a degree in medicine or nursing or what doesn't necessarily mean that they understand all this system stuff. And so you've got to have skilled people that teach this inside your organization. The chief quality officer that leads the organization in this work is as important as the person that heads up cardiac surgery. I mean, it just it makes conceptual sense to me that the clinical and the non-clinical people, they're all heroes. You gotta treat them like that. And then if, if they don't agree that customer satisfaction and, and the, the value equation and all that and quality are important, then there probably shouldn't be in the business this, that you're in. Right. <laughs> So that becomes, uh, we're going to get into sustainability here quickly, um, but before we leave culture, that becomes part of the round here, right? We've we've talked about this before on radio show. Round here, we do this. Round here, yep. we do that, right? It's, it's fixed in the culture, like this is our approach, this is our system, this yep. is what we do round here. And once everybody has that, there's a trust that comes out of that, and, and leaders can then... Uh, have a higher expectation that each associate is going to be able to plug in and and play more effectively, right? Because the round here's are clear. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, no. My thought on culture is simply, is, as you said, it's it's the way we the way we do things. Every community, every organization has a culture, whether they intended the one they've got or not. They've got one. Yep, for sure. And so if you believe that culture is important, then basically spend the time to get it to where you want it to be. Right. But culture without execution doesn't get you anywhere. Culture right. by itself, it's, it's the combination of culture and getting things done. Yep. And so people lose trust in the culture if it doesn't accomplish what everyone's trying to do in the organization. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in culture because it sets the stage for everything and, and getting things done, results orientation, all of that has to be part of the culture, striking the balance between culture and execution, timing, all those things, paying attention to your customers. Right. Yeah. Just so some really deep concepts there, Lowell, that are, that are great. One, one thing you just said is culture without execution doesn't get you very far. So it's this balance, and that actually leads us into sustainability. So sustainability, just in, in general definition, is yeah. that you maintain viability to your customer base on an ongoing basis. In other words, you're a high performer that your customers are going to continue to come back to. B 
because you keep doing it right. And I'm guessing that's probably the hardest thing, one of the hardest things to do. It is very tough to do, and it's basically impossible to do when you have rapid cycle changes of leaders and chasing shiny objects, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to do this, and then tomorrow we're going to do that. We're going to, you know, forget it. Sustainability doesn't even exist, you know, virtually week to week or month to month. So talk to us a little bit about sustainability and some of your observations on that, Lowell. Yeah, it is a challenge to figure out how to continue to make life interesting for everybody and rewarding. But you have to think about those things because uh, you got to find out what what satisfies your employees, what trips their trigger. And I remember at our organization, uh, I encouraged them to be involved in the community. I said, in addition to being a nurse or a supply chain distribution person, you're you're probably also a Girl Scout uh, coach or a, or a sports person with your kids or whatever it is. So I want you to be engaged because this this is about your community as well. And I and I found in, in employee surveys that one of the things that employees appreciated about working at the place was the fact that we valued their community engagement so highly. So that was one of the things I learned, and so I continue to talk about that now. Not everybody can be gone working in the community because we still got patients to take care of and a business to run, and so we had to keep those things in balance and. What I tried not to lose track of is that this is not a one-and-done thing. It's an every day. So my every, so while a person working on the floor, their everyday assignment is to take care of patients or just distribute supplies or whatever it is, my everyday event was to, to kind of look after the organization and make what they're doing meaningful. They'll sustain the work and... and uh, take care of the patients and do it in a cost-effective way. If you keep talking about that and lifting it up and rewarding it. So, so true. So what may get boring to me, uh, but can't, I, I can't let it, I can't forget it as the CEO and the senior leadership. We have to sustain ourselves that doing the things that support the culture. Uh, it's, it's like planting a crop in the spring and nurturing it through to uh, harvest and by the way when that cycle is done you start all over again preparing for the next right planting the work is never the same thing work is never done so um, we are at the end of our time we've had Lowell Cruz on for now two weeks Uh, we now understand better from our conversation with you why exactly Heartland Health won because you're an amazing leader with a tremendous amount of insight as it relates to how do you create a culture that is successful. So really our privilege having you um, on the radio show for these these two working sessions, Lowell. Thank you very much. You're welcome. It's been, been fun. You've been fascinating. I say we put him on the list to bring him back. Yeah. Yeah. He's in the top, he's in the top five. He was great. For sure. Thank you to all our guests. I don't want to single people out. That was bad. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Lowell. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us on Leader Dialogue. Uh, Remember, you can tune in each week, Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern time, and we'll be here. Um, On behalf of Ben and Lisa and Trey and Mike, our two producers, we really appreciate you joining us. And we'll see you next time, Leader Dialogue on Business Radio X. 